Hey everybody, Tommy here. Before we get into this week's Chaser episode with author John F. Lyons, I just wanted to alert you to a couple exciting things we have going on here at Blotto HQ. First, mark your calendars for Friday, February 26th. We are super chuffed to announce that will be the first live virtual Blotto Beatles Trivia Night. Um, we are getting some of our friends together from other podcasts. We're hosting a great night. We're going to be asking for some donations, uh, if you can spare any change for us, and we're going to donate all that money to charity. So more information coming soon on our socials and on our website. And I am going to ask you, uh, maybe listen up to next week's episode. That'll give you a, a better idea of why we're focusing on a specific charity for this event. Secondly, we are equally chuffed. Uh, we just got to be guests on another podcast called The Alphabetical Fugazi. If you've never heard of the band Fugazi, uh, they are one of our favorites here at Blotto HQ besides the Beatles. Uh, an independent band in the post-punk spirit that we just all really love. So we were all super excited to join host Ian talking about the Fugazi song, I'm So Tired. Um, that is going to be released this Saturday, February 13th. So please check out the alphabetical Fugazi wherever you get your podcasts and listen up in a month or so because Ian also came on our cast recently to talk about the Beatles song, I'm So Tired, in a crossover event. So those are the exciting bits of news here at Blotto HQ. Without further ado, here is your chaser. Well, 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 we are here for another Blotto Beatles Extra Show. Guys, it's been a while since we've done a chaser, since since we've dipped in in between our, our regular episodes. I'm excited to be here for a great reason tonight. Uh, for those of on you a, out there, On a school night also. A school night. Here we go. Which is a rarity. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, this is the show where usually a few friends have a few drinks and come together to discuss and rank a single Beatles song. Uh, tonight, we're doing something a little different here on Blotto Beatles. And before we get into that... I want to introduce who we have in the virtual Abbey Road tonight. I am one of your hosts. My name is Tommy. I am here, as always, with my good friend, um, Pete Best, to my uh, Paul McCartney. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's complimentary, not, right? Not a compliment. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll say a, a good John and Paul uh, mix here. It, it is my friend Becker. How you doing, man? Great, buddy. Great. Nice to see you uh, on a Thursday. I know, Thursday night. This is a little wild for us. <laughs> Get ready. And always, uh, listeners, we wouldn't do the extra sode without him. He is the George Martin of New England. It is executive producer Scotty C. How you doing? I'm great. This is fun. I'm, I'm excited for this Thursday get Yeah, together. Thursday extra. And we are recording an actual episode tomorrow night, guys. So this is a, a little double header. Yeah. This is kind of like Beatles American Tour. We're just getting run ragged out here on the streets. It's it's <laughs> wild. Um, but we are here for a specific reason, and, and I don't want to go too long without welcoming our guest. Um, we're, we're pretty lucky tonight, everyone. We have uh, the author of the new book, Joy and Fear, The Beatles, Chicago, and the 1960s. Please join me in welcoming, uh, you know, renowned author, John F. Lyons. How are you tonight, John? Well, hello, boys. Uh, Welcome. Thank you for having me on your show. It's uh, it's a pleasure. 
I'll even go further and say I'm chuffed. Oh, you're chuffed. <laughs> oh. You. We're we chuffed. Are you familiar chuffed. with that word? We yes, love we chuffed. Are. Did I have that on the East Coast? <laughs> we, uh, you know, we're, we're bringing some it back. Yeah. Deep, deep research. We're, you know, you, you can, John, we've been online for a few minutes. You can probably tell there's some scholarly attitudes coming from this <laughs> podcast. You know, we, we go deep on the research. Uh, and in our initial research looking to the podcast, I asked uh, the important source, Google, what is some English slang for being excited? And chuffed was the first one that came up, and we've been using it ever since. <laughs> it's a good word to use, and it really does sum up how I feel. Because I've listened to every episode of your podcast. I follow you on Facebook. I follow you on Instagram. I follow you on Twitter. Thank you for the, the loyalty. That's uh, yeah. tremendous. Now, the only slight problem is, though, you don't follow me back. Is there a, <laughs> I follow, is there we follow you. For this? We follow you no, on you Instagram. I am well, I haven't about. seen it. If you, I, I, I think now that you're these big pod superstars, <laughs> that you've got no interest now in people like me, little people that follow you. So go back into your social media and check. Yeah, right, we're, we're I, gonna, we will. We will absolutely rectify that before this I'm, launches. But I'm pretty sure we follow. You I'm going to talk to the assistant to my assistant and make sure this <laughs> yeah, gets rectified. Yeah, that's someone is someone's yes. getting fired at Blotto yeah, HQ. Exactly. So. Some people need to get fired here. That's happening. But anyway, no, it's a pleasure to be on. No, your thank, thank you so much I, for joining us. We we've got a ton of questions about this book. I'm I'm excited, John. It, it seems like writing a Beatles book is really hard. Like, did you ever think about just getting drunk and spouting off about the Beatles instead? Because <laughs> it's it's working for us. <laughs> Well, funny enough, I did. And uh, I did have this idea about actually having a book that was going to be about beer and the Beatles. Oh, man. But uh, the, yeah, the more I thought about it, though, I thought, no, nah, I think I'll just stick to the Beatles. Just forget about it. Just I'll keep the beer as a sort of social rather than a professional side of my character. Um, but you are drinking a beer tonight. I saw it in your hand. What, what, do, you, uh, what do you have in your cup this evening, John? Okay, so I thought I'd start off with a uh, local bit. Now, I'm in Chicago. Uh, as you say, you wouldn't know that from my accent, but I, I'm, I'm living in Chicago. And uh, Chicago's got some very good breweries. Mm -hmm. We've got a very good uh, beer uh, selection here. And one of the breweries I like is uh, Goose Island, which is quite, quite well-known. And the beer I'm drinking at the moment is called Green Line, mm -hmm. which I do highly recommend. And I first used to drink a beer that they used to have called uh, Honkers Ale. Yep. Sure. To get, you know that one? Yeah, it's I a great name. Yeah, yeah we can get that. Sale. And for some reason, they've discontinued it. I can't find it anywhere. And so, it. yeah, uh, I, and I was very upset over this. But in the last few years, they have now promoted this uh, green line. And I must admit, it is also a very good beer. But, uh, yeah, we're very lucky. We're, we're, we're lucky in uh, Chicago. To, and you are as well. I know the East Coast has got yeah, some great beer. Definitely. But I first came to the States in the late uh, 80s. Yeah. And uh, I was and you living were, in you Detroit. were mad that all of the beers were cold when you got here? Well, that was the first <laughs> thing I could understand, because I started talking about English beer was warm. Yeah. And English beer is not warm. But when I came here... And I found out that you like your beer completely frozen <laughs> so that there's no taste out of it. Then I realized why you think our beer is warm. But when I came here, it was basically Bud Light. Yeah, sure. And uh, Miller Light. And then uh, the only saving grace was Sam Adams. Right. 
That was yeah, yeah that that was pretty you know, much around at that stage. But then in the last twenty years, the the brewing industry in America has just been it's just taken off, isn't it? It's just it's incredible. Crazy. It's wild. You can't even you keep know. up. There's so but yeah. When I when I first yeah. started my travels, and I was always happy to see a Sam Adams somewhere. That was just a a great a great beer to to find, you know. And now it's like exactly. I go somewhere, I need to find like what's the localist beer and what are um do you drink any um any UK beers anymore? You keep up with what's going on over yeah. there? Yeah. When I was in England, I used to drink, uh, there's a beer there called, I come from London, so I used to drink a beer called London Pride. Oh, all right. I mean, yeah. I've seen the A traditional sort of like English happened. ale, you know. Yeah. And uh, my dad used to drink a, another beer called John Smith's. What a great name for a beer. I mean, how did they come up That's, with that? John Smith's. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, that, that was my two uh, beers I used to drink. And since I've been to America, I can't find John Smith's, but I have found London Pride. Oh, all right. Nice. Yeah. There's a couple I, uh, of uh, stores that sell it here. And also, there's an Irish beer called Smithix. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. And they, yeah, yeah that, was, that was one of the of early uh, like import beers, I would say. Yeah, yeah. They, they yeah. have that in a lot of places. But, so, I, but I did uh, call it Smithwicks for a long oh, yeah. time. Yeah. A long oh, time. He, he called it, it Smithwicks for a long time. Oh, easily done. <laughs> I, I also I come from Guinness, a, though, so I don't know. Yeah, I come from a place in England uh, that we call Tottenham. But the, the way it's spelt, all Americans call it Tot N Ham. Oh, yeah, sure. So... You know, I understand. I went As to you Scotland. Less um, stay sure. Yeah. I went to Scotland last year or the year before, and I had Innis and Gun. Have you ever had that? No, I can't yeah. recall. Pretty, that pretty one. fantastic. No. Uh, that's a that's a free plug for Innis. I and do Gun. like Scottish ale though. Yeah, there's a, a couple of good pubs in uh, Chicago that sell uh, Scottish beer and, and and whiskey and all, obviously, and all that kind of stuff. But no, since I've come over here, I have adapted to the American beers and some very good ones. But the only slight problem is this IPA business. Too you much. seem to be obsessed with these IPAs <laughs> that are sort of like 10, 11 percent uh, alcohol yeah. content. And that's just, that's a no. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need for it to be more than 5 percent. That's enough. That's true. John has talked a little about what he's drinking. I think just very quickly, I'm having the official beer of Blotto Beetles. John, it's not an IPA. It's We are drinking uh, here on, on the crew. It's the Devil's Purse, which is a Cape Cod local beer. And it is a handline Kolsch, Kolsch beer, like oh, a nice. German style beer, really yes. delicious. Yeah, oh, good yes. stuff. Yes, yeah, they make a fantastic beer. Five percent, nice. too. Uh, yeah, five percent. Scotty, oh, like- and Scott, you're all th- you're all drinking the same. Oh. It's the official beer. It's the official yeah. beer bottle. Official beer. <laughs> of course, I knew that. I was just the, testing it. Yeah, they give it to us for free, which is wonderful. <laughs> That's a good reason to drink it. Yeah. I say, uh, yeah. Becker, what about you, man? Oh, very nice. uh, I'm drinking a Grim Artisanal Ale out of uh, Brooklyn, New York, and then I'm also drinking a little uh, the Willet Bourbon. I've still got a little bit. That pot's still burning. Around. That bottle's the been around for a bourbon. while, man. Or do you just have uh, uh, this a recycling is, uh, this bill is maybe, clanking around with pot still? This bottles. is maybe the second or third bottle since yeah. I introduced it. But um, yeah, you know, I like to have a little sip of the brown and a little sip of the beer and uh, yeah. keep it level. I do. Do we even. actually know what beer that the Beatles drank? I, I am ashamed to say I don't know. Well, I'm ashamed hey, uh, to say the same. Yeah. Um, John has written a fantastic new book, um, and we're here to, to really dive in and uh, talk about that a little bit, you know? Yeah, and I, I think, John, you were leaning in this direction. I would love if you, you would kind of talk about, for a second, what is your relationship with the Beatles? Like, your first discovery, your first memory of, of listening to the Beatles, how they kind of impressed themselves upon you in one way or another, and maybe how that's changed over time. Like, what is it about you and this band? Well, Tommy, <laughs> we go back a long way, mm-hmm. me and the Beatles. 
I was born in London in 1960. And uh, that meant that the Beatles were always there. There there was no sort of moment like you have in America with the Ed Sullivan show, where people can kind of point to one sort of moment where they sort of really remember the Beatles coming into their lives. Or maybe when they heard, I want to hold your hand, would be another sort of special moment for a lot of people. I never really had any of them sort of moments. They they just were always there. And uh, in terms of uh, early uh, memories, yeah, uh, they were on TV. I couldn't tell you exactly what programs. Did I see them at the Palladium or the Royal Variety Show? I probably did, but don't have that great a memory of it. I, I was I would have only been three years old. But uh, I remember going to see Help, the film. I remember um, we got a record player in our house in the mid sixties, so about nineteen sixty five, and one of the first records we had was uh, Paperback Writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did reason, your parents feel about the Beatles at the time? Were they well? My, my parents were both uh, Irish immigrants, and so the music we had in the house was basically um, Irish traditional music. But they did, they were they were very liberal people. They did like uh, sort of popular music, and of course the fact that the Beatles have a strong uh, Irish connection meant that they would have looked on them very favourably uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, whenever we played pop music in the house, they were very open to it. But they were certainly of an older generation that was more into traditional Irish music, you know. But, um, but yeah, I've got a brother and sister a bit older than me. And uh, I remember, for some reason, a, a plastic Beatles wig that was in the house for years. So I've no idea where that... Uh, who, who the hell was wearing that? I was really hoping you were about to reach under the desk and put it on. That's really <laughs> the moment I was yeah. looking for. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I can find a picture of me wearing it, I'll actually send it to you and you can put it on your website. Please but, do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, later on I can remember them on the um, David Frost show, which you've all seen, the, uh, you know, the, the Hey Jude uh, film. Yes, sure. They, the, the audience came up on stage. That was fantastic. I do remember that very, very well. And then they used to be uh, on top of the plot, Pops playing uh, Get Back from the uh, the rooftop, you know, the uh, the, uh, the uh, rooftop concert they gave. And so, you know, I have, I have a lot of memories of them. But I've got to be honest with you, though, when I was growing up in the 60s, I couldn't say that uh, the Beatles were uh, head and shoulders my group compared to everybody else because I also liked uh, Herman's Hermits. I liked Hollies. Uh, Freddie and the Dreamers. I love Freddie and the Dreamers. Don't know why they never became so big over here, but uh, I did like them. And uh, then I also liked uh, a lot of Motown music, and uh, reggae was becoming very popular in uh, in Britain in the late '60s. So I remember, you know, we used to buy Desmond Decker records or whatever. So anyway, the point I'm trying to say is that the Beatles were a group, but they didn't stand out for me uh, beyond everybody else. They were, they were one of a number of different groups. And then the first record, first album we ever had in the house was uh, Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. So, again, I do remember that uh, album pretty well. But anyway, the, the, when I got into music, which would have been in the 70s, it was um, Led Zeppelin, uh, David Bowie. Yeah, heard of him. Uh, Black Sabbath. And then, of course, punk. I loved punk. Oh, yeah? And, of course, yeah, I, I, you can tell by looking at me but, uh, that I was a punker. But uh, <laughs> Who's your favorite I, punk band? Uh, you're you're yeah. a Clash guy, yeah. The only band that matters. That's the only band that matters. <laughs> London Calling. We should have done a Clash episode. I know. <laughs> wow. 
So what's um what is the path from there to then saying, well, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to write this Beatles book? Yeah. So, but I think the re- the reason why I mention that is because I think it uh, it helps me with the book because uh, I'm not. I'm not a number one fan, you know. I'm not somebody who goes around wearing uh, a Let It Be uh, T-shirt and, you know, basically says that there's nobody else besides the Beatles. I, I love a lot of Beatles music, but I love a lot of other people's music as well. But what that means is when you come to write a book, I think I'm more objective. Mm-hmm. I think I have that distance that I think you need if you're going to write a book of history. Because uh, a lot of people that write Beatles books, they, they, straight up, they even say it in the introduction, I'm the greatest fan ever. And if you're the greatest fan ever, you know, you do you do lack a little bit of ob- objective sort of view. I think you're, you you kind of want to look towards what is good and want to look towards, uh, you know, that basically, uh, you know, whatever you think about the Beatles, you want that to be in the uh, the literature that you're uh, studying. And what was your thought about focusing it um, on Chicago? Right, every every sort of Beatles book finds their hook. I think your your big angle is is Chicago as a, as a city, yeah, uh, is it yeah, that, as your that, adopted hometown or uh, how did you? Yeah, know? partly. I mean, obviously it made it easier to do the research when uh, I live uh, here rather than traveling to, to archives or whatever. But uh, now the, the reason I did that is because um, when I first thought of the idea, uh, the book, it was, it, it really came out of my last book. My last book was uh, the uh, America and the British Imagination. And it included parts about the Beatles in it. And it was basically about, as it says on the tin, how the uh, the British viewed America since World War Two, and so I finished that book in uh, 2013. And so what I wanted to do was write uh, a book that was kind of like the mirror image of that. Instead of the British view of America, I wanted the American view of Britain. And uh, at that time, you probably remember the, there was the big talk about the 50th anniversary of the Beatles coming to America. That was uh, you know 2013, building up to the you know, the Ed Sullivan 50th anniversary. Yeah. So they kind of, uh, it, it jumped in my mind that really what I should write about is about how Americans looked at the Beatles, not just looked at Britain. And when I thought of that idea, I kind of realised pretty quickly that uh, America is just too diverse. You know, it's it's such a regional country, especially more so in the 60s than it is now, where you had different uh, traditions, different ethnic groups, different races, uh, different media, different politics, uh, you know, everything, different music scenes, everything was so regional. And so what I wanted to do was therefore, I, I realised it was pointless to do a book about how America viewed the Beatles. It just wouldn't get into that nice detail, that, which I wanted to get. And so therefore I had to pick a place and the obvious place was uh, Chicago because uh, it's it was the second biggest city in America at the time. I think it's more, quote, American than New York or L.A. would be. Uh, I think it's uh, a city that has got a large black population, and I wanted to look at that because uh, I don't think of any book on the Beatles has ever really looked at uh, how African-Americans viewed uh, the Beatles. I wanted to do that. Well, and 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 how the Beatles also appreciated their black influence, uh, you know, um, from Motown and, and... early doo-wop yep. and things like that, I, I yep. thought was great. And, and also great. Chicago music. I mean, they loved yeah. uh, the Impressions and Major Lance and obviously Chess Records, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley. You know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, that comes out of... Uh, well, and you made, you made a great point about yeah. um, that they were refusing to play in places where the audience would be segregated. 
um, that, you know, for whatever they say about peace and love and, and being together and all this, that they, they were practicing what they preached through, even yeah. in those early years, you know, not, not when they became, um, whatever we want to say about them in the second half of their career yeah. and talking more about, uh, some level of revolutionary idea and cultural shift and, and things, but the, from go, they are saying this is important to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their views on race were very admirable especially for the 1960s. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that they uh, <clears throat> they loved African-American music, as you know, obviously, and they always told people that. It's not as if it was some sort of like hidden uh, part of their uh, repertoire. They straight away, as soon as they come to America, they said, we like uh, Motown and we like Chuck Berry. And so they, they advertised the fact that they loved uh, African-American uh, music. And then, uh, like you say, they I think they did uh, try their best to sort of live up to these principles. You know, they wouldn't play in South Africa because it was apartheid. They uh, refused to play to segregated audiences in uh, America. But even then later on, when they adopted uh, uh, their uh, beliefs about Hinduism, and they became very enamored with uh, South Asian culture, Indian culture. You know, again, in England at that time, uh, people from South Asia... They were sort of the, the, the major immigrant population coming to uh, England at that time. They faced enormous discrimination. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, their food was considered to be uh, just sort of like not even proper food. Their religions were laughed at. Uh, they were beaten up in the streets. And there's the Beatles that are publicly saying that we admire this culture that comes from India. So I, I do I do admire that part about the Beatles as well. I think that their their views on race were certainly uh, very progressive uh, for the time. And, uh, and even in that back of that with yeah. Ravi Shankar, uh, George taking Ravi Shankar yeah, on tour exactly. in, in the seventies is yeah. it's yeah. you know the audience is not necessarily looking for that, and he's letting him pay, play essentially like right. an entire set, right? And 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 people are not that excited about it, right? Um, yeah, I think yeah. When he plays in seventy four. Uh, you know, I was looking at the reviews in Chicago, and of course they weren't very good because uh, people didn't want to uh, hear uh, Indian music, and uh, they didn't want to hear uh, uh, George Harrison croaking through yeah. rearranged Beatles songs either. But uh, but you're right, the the, the um, Indian music did turn a lot of people off. But uh, but yeah, controversially like though, it seems that you yeah. gloss over the fact that George Martin um, hates deep dish pizza. Did you find that in your research? <laughs> You know what? If I did, I would have changed my opinion of him. Completely. <laughs> you know, I've got to be honest. I hope nobody's listening to this. I can't stand it either. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like. Oh, deep so it's dish an English pizza. thing. I don't, yeah, I don't see the point. I like thin pizza. Mm-hmm. I don't I do like too. deep dish. Yeah. I'm okay? with you. If you want to edit that out, you can. But no, I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't, I don't live in Chicago. But, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I know. But I'm the, I'm the one that has to walk the streets. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. But, uh, but no, anyway, in terms of going back to African-Americans, but then what I also found is that uh, African-Americans played a major role in the Beatles story. And that's something that really, we, you know, we're in Black History Month now, and it doesn't really get celebrated enough because, uh, as you know, again, the, the first uh, record label to uh, release Beatles uh, singles and albums in the US was uh, owned by African-Americans. Uh, we certainly know that WLS was the well, not certainly now, but we think that they were the ones that played the, the, the first Beatles song in the, the US. But also, their second song was uh, picked up by a lot of African-American, uh, From Me To You, was picked up by a lot of African-American radio stations. 
And I spoke to a lot of people that remember hearing the Beatles in the 60s on these African-American radio stations, and they weren't sure if they were a black group or a white group. A lot of the time, they actually thought they were a black group. And uh, also when the, uh, so, the Beatles... Um, can hit, I interrupt? Because I, sure, sure, I, yeah. I don't know if I do know this, but yeah. are you saying that VJ Records is a black-owned um, record label? That's right, yeah. It's really? owned by uh, two uh, uh, a husband and wife team, and... Uh, they, uh, yeah, it was basically the next biggest to uh, Motown. Yeah, you know, if Motown for sure. was the biggest, the, the VJ was the next biggest. And it uh, it was, yeah, African-American owned. And um, they, uh, they basically, because they had influence in Chicago amongst African-American radio stations, they were then able to, to get the Beatles singles played on the African-American radio stations. And then, uh, uh, like I say, in 64 then, when the Beatles really hit, they, 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 it was Capitol Records that then released their records, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, But then what happened is uh, new, black newspapers basically picked up on the Beatles, including the Chicago Defender. And it's quite remarkable to read the Chicago Defender in 1964 because uh, they were also uh, very impressed uh, with the Beatles and they were running contests uh, for their... Uh, readership based around uh, the Beatles, including one which was uh, for Hard Day's Night. When Hard Day's Night played in um, Chicago, the end of August 64, uh, premiered in Chicago, the Chicago Defender ran a uh, contest uh, for uh, to go and see the film. And uh, you can see it in the, 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 papers, the, the, the pages of the newspaper that uh, everybody that went to see the movie that won the tickets was African-American. And then if you look at the stores in the south side and west side of uh, Chicago, they were full of Beatles memorabilia. And so, um, you know, the, the, the African-Americans, they played a big role in uh, the, uh, the rise of uh, the Beatles in, uh, in America. And, uh, you know, you probably say, well, was there that many at the concerts? And pretty obviously, no, there wasn't. But I think that's because of various reasons. One is some of the concerts, like the one in Chicago, was in... Uh, uh, the southwest side of the city, which was notorious for being a place where it was dangerous for African-Americans to go to. So uh, I spoke to uh, a woman that did go to the concert, a young African-American girl at the time, and uh, what she did was pretty brave. Her and her friend went to the concert. They were walked there by her mother. They were scared, but once they got in there, they were they were fine. But uh, but I think, you know, that, that's why if you look at concert uh, uh, pictures, there isn't that many African-Americans in the audience. There is some, but not that many. But I think that doesn't mean that uh, a lot of African-Americans didn't like the Beatles, because I think they were. They were enormously popular in black neighbourhoods, just like they were in uh, white neighbourhoods. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking here about 64, 65. Yeah. yeah. I, I so, do have a, a couple specific points I, I picked up on in the book I, I'd like to touch upon yeah. and, and just... You know, I, I don't know if they'll garner much discussion, but they they really piqued my interest. Um, John, you pointed out at one point in the book that in 1964 uh, in Chicago, be really you're you're putting it on the the fame of the Beatles and Beatlemania that um, guitars all of a sudden for the first time ever uh, outsold accordions <laughs> oh, yeah, in the in the Windy City. Correct me if that I'm wrong. That is a very Midwest vibe. Yeah, it's Chicago amazing, is it? the heart of, of big polka uh, yes, in America, exactly. right? Did this just put a yes. knife, put yeah. a stake in the heart of polka? You know what? I, I think I wouldn't say that put a knife in the polka because a friend of mine uh, 
plays in the Polkaholics, and he'll, he'll kill me if I <laughs> say that. But, but uh, no, but there's no doubt about it. it. It did change the texture of the music. Now, funny enough, some of the bands, early bands, they actually carried on with the accordion. So you had sort of like yeah. garage bands playing with accordions, you know, which were, were quite yeah. good. But it is true. They did they did change the, the, the texture of uh, the music and also what instruments. But i got to be honest, you know, when I the, uh, researched about the Chicago music scene, you don't really hear much about Chicago music no. in the 60s. You really don't. I mean, rock music. You do, uh, you know, uh, African-American music, but not really uh, rock music. And... Um, the more I researched it, I found that it was it was an amazing scene, really. And the, the people were so young. Right. You know, they, they were like 13 years old yeah, picking I, up I, guitars. And the reason they did is so many of them said it is because they saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And what they saw is there was no dance routines. There was no backing singers. There was no horn section. All it was was four people looking like they are enjoying themselves and girls were going nuts. <laughs> and if you were 13, you'd pick up a guitar. Yeah. I would have. And you three would have as well. We were talking about punk earlier. And I, I just think, right, you you, uh, you think about Elvis, you think about the Beatles, you think about the path to punk. And it is just sort of like democratizing music. It's just making it more accessible. It's making it feel like, oh, I can make this noise. I played in punk bands. We all played in bands as, as kids together. And it just right? The Beatles are part of that, right? Like no one thought that they could be Elvis and no one probably thought that they could be the Beatles, but they could be like the Beatles. And that's probably started this chain, this chain reaction, you know? Yeah. And of course it is that group conception, isn't it? The fact that there were four friends, four yeah, equal it, friends. It's a gang. Yeah. And I love yeah, the Beatles are a gang. Like I like to They say all that. said that there wasn't yeah. one person out front with a backing band. Yeah. You know, it was and basically four it. people that uh, when you see them getting interviewed, they were interchangeable. It just looked like a, a nice group of uh, friends, and that's what people uh, really am. But the other thing, I just want to say this also about Chicago uh, music, but not just Chicago. I know it happened elsewhere. I was amazed at the number of uh, uh, girl bands that uh, came out of uh, Chicago in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And uh, that I do really think, I mean, maybe you, you might think differently, but I can't think really of many, if any, all female groups playing instruments. I don't mean uh, singing groups uh, before the Beatles. Yeah, no. it's really di very difficult to think of any. True, but yeah. uh, once the Beatles come out, I think a lot of girls, because the music was kind of girl-centered. Let's be honest: the Beatles don't look that macho. You know, <laughs> they kind of look a bit kind of. <laughs> Not yeah, until they grow say. those great beards and stuff. But. Well, yeah, okay. They got a bit, and there was a but, bit of sort of like hairy chest from Paul McCartney. But, uh, <laughs> I do think in general, they were kind of like pale, scrawny sure. Englishmen. And uh, so I don't think, uh, well, I think that women could see themselves sort of like in the Beatles. And then the fact that they had harmonies, the fact that they played sort of music that was kind of like a girl group as in, or like the Ronettes and Shirelles yeah. kind of uh, emulate them. I think, in other words, they for girls even, you could look at the Beatles and say, mm, I could do that. That looks make like this, us. We can make this yeah. noise. We yeah, can yeah, make yeah. this work. And it is, it is amazing how many did form all-girl uh, bands. And uh, some of them, uh, again, didn't release records. Some of them uh, released one. Some of them released a number of records. And uh, this, uh, you know, that, that's also something amazing that came out of uh, the Beatles it, yeah. coming to America yeah, as well. That's, 
yeah that's a that's an amazing angle i yeah. don't think we've we've yeah. even touched on that in the pod so john you are an unabashed historian we we know this and i am, I am. that's yeah. what i get paid for and uh you you did state earlier that you were trying to um have a, an objective lens when looking at the Beatles and, and writing this book. And that's what, that's what I, historians try to do. I'm going to say that there's one place where, where I, I find some subjectivity here. Okay. Did you intend to paint the mayor of Chicago at the time? Mayor Daly is like a mustache twirling villain wearing a cape at all. <laughs> because <laughs> it does. From the moment the Beatles try and come in, he's like, get those Beatles out of here. I don't want to see them. And then even down to like the political movements at the end, he's like, these Beatles are ruining the country. And, you know, it, it, it was a little like uh scooby-doo i, I could have seen him like, you know they, they have him in the rope he's like and i would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you beatles and your wigs <laughs> yeah mayor daly does play a good uh you know he's one of the characters in the oh book. he's an excellent character and, in the book i love yeah it. and he he was uh he was the mayor of chicago if you can believe this from 1955 to uh when he died in office in 1976 so if he was alive he'd still be mayor now <laughs> and so um <laughs> And uh, he dominates Chicago, and he's also a big player in uh, American politics. You know, if you wanted to run for president uh, under the Democratic ticket, you had to go and see uh, Mayor Daley, which uh, Bobby Kennedy did in 1968. And uh, he asked uh, Mayor Daley, have you got any advice for me? And Mayor Daley said, yes, uh, get your hair cut. Wow. <laughs> Just so amazing to think about that time, or I if know. you thought about a politician now who would even have time to sort of focus on something like that, to think that this was such a, uh, but, such but a cultural Chicago, shift that you're trying to, yeah, you know, concerned but, uh, about. But other uh, mayors were, were giving them the keys to the city. Right. Sure. You know, sure. New Orleans, the mayor was basically, they were turning up at their press conferences, shaking hands with them, having their pictures taken. You know, there well, was uh, the you, wives and children of some of these uh, mayors were publicly going to the concerts and having their pictures taken so it, it's not as if this was all over america this was basically mayor daily in chicago well and it's yeah. amazing you know I, i'm clearly uh joking and exaggerating the point of you making him the the villain of the book but to think of this guy like what the democratic party is today and that this guy the, this mayor is a, a member of the demo not only a member but a clearly a, a high ranking or, or you know high thought of member of the party um, influential, yeah. A very influential member of the party. Thank you. Mm. And he he's so afraid of, of this cultural shift. Um, yeah. it, it's wild. It, yeah. What a different time. Um, the other thought point in the book that I thought was pretty interesting that I actually haven't focused that much on is, is George Harrison coming to the U.S. ahead of Beatlemania and his sister um, being in, in Illinois. And I, I actually thought that that was, that was pretty crazy that John, I... I'm sure that I'm relatively had read this somewhere, but that the fact that George had come out and visited his sister um, and that she is, is here in the States and, and, and sort of a big proponent of, uh, of her brother at the time, I, I, I thought was a, a great point that you, you play up here. Yeah. I interviewed uh, his uh, sister, Louise Harrison, and she's a great woman. And uh, yeah, she, she ended up living in Southern Illinois uh, with her husband and uh she was a lot older than uh, George, so she never actually saw the Beatles in, in England. She never, didn't go to the cabin or anything like that. She was already grown up and moved away. And uh, so when he started to get this band and started telling her about, uh, you know, the, the Beatles and how popular they were in England, she tried to uh, 
to break them in America by uh, getting them played on local radio stations and uh, etc. And uh, yeah, he came to visit her in September uh, 1969. And I, I found this article where he talked about his um, his uh, visit and about his view of America. And they already they all loved America. I mean, they they they, they were enamored with America. You know, going back to when they were children and. When he went there, he couldn't believe it. You know, the amount of blue sky. Mm. Might be a little thing, but, you know, for, for Brits, we don't really see uh, blue skies. Wow. You know, or if we do, it's it's very fleeting. And here you are in Illinois, and it's hot, you know, uh, uh, blue sky all the time. Uh, then he, was, he, he couldn't believe about the air conditioning, uh, the TVs that had a number of different channels. Radio stations that had more than one BBC channel. I mean, he it was just a, a staggering uh, experience for him. And, of course, the other wonderful thing about Which it is an interesting he, point because it, that is also yeah. becomes the media vehicle that later makes them the biggest band in the world, right? Is there well, a little the, bit the, of the fact that sort of there is a singular uh, BBC that propels the Beatles forward? Like I, that there I isn't do. competition, you know? I think so. I think there's a lot of, uh, yeah, I think the, the fact that the BBC and that they're on the BBC so much and uh, also that uh, there was needless time agreements with the union so you couldn't play that many records and so therefore you had to have live acts. I think that really helped the Beatles and also the other British invasion groups, if you want to call them that, or beat groups in England. I, th I think you're absolutely right. But of course, when they came to America, though, they just could not believe this DJ patter that you had over here and also the number of stations playing constant records, which they were never doing in England. And uh, yeah, they, 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 they loved the uh, American radio, but, uh, but he, he was just blown away by America. And that was September 63. And of course, then uh, in February 64, when he came over, she met him in uh, New York. And then she also ended up going to the concerts in uh, Chicago in uh, 64 and 65. And uh, in 65, they did actually stay overnight. They stayed two nights in a hotel and she went to visit him in the, the hotel with some of her friends, actually, that he'd met in that September uh, 63 visit to... Uh, to uh, I mean, it's got to be amazing, exciting to see your brother come over and have him be part of Beatlemania. I mean, that's right. that, that's got to be a... Yeah. You know, my my I mean, brother's it, never... It's never paid off that well, so... No, no. no same with me. My brother's definitely not uh, giving me anything like that. But uh, no, you know, the fact that in 69 he could walk around basically yeah. un, undisturbed, he also loved as well. Mm -hmm. I think that visit was something that he really cherished. And in fact, of course, he went to New York on that visit as well. So he must have been amazed at New York. He never went to Chicago, but he went to... Um, the Shawnee National Forest, which I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a spectacular uh, forest in southern Illinois. And uh, he talked, uh, you know, lovingly about that place as well. So he was, he was very, very impressed with uh, that visit in 69. And 63, That's sorry. beautiful, yeah. John, thanks a ton for hanging out for us today. You have the the new book coming out. Um, let the people know where they can uh, where they can find you and where they can pick up the book. Yes, the book is available on all the usual retailers, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you want to buy it through independent bookstores, obviously they, they uh, will uh, stop the book as well. Yes. Uh, in terms of following me, I am actually uh, the king of all social media. 
So you oh. can follow me on okay. Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. And you can even follow me on Instagram. And what I'm doing on Instagram is I am posting all, eventually all, of my collection of Beatles interviews. Oh, nice. Very cool. Really nice. And I've got thousands. So this, I could be about 200 years old by the time I finish it. But <laughs> I'm basically put every single day, I put a new Beatles interview on there. And including uh, uh, what's coming up, this will get you uh, intrigued, is did you even know that he was interviewed by Albert Goldman? That who was? Uh, sorry, John Lennon was. What do I mean? He, uh, yeah, John Lennon was. <laughs> what? No, I didn't know that. I um, no we speak a lot about Goldman in a yes, in you one do. Of our earlier a lot episodes. of people do. He interviewed him in a oh. two-piece magazine special. Wow. Interesting. Wow. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but if you want to see it, so where? What is Instagram. that Instagram handle? What? Where do people find uh, that? Your I think I'm John F. Lines Beatles on there. John F. Right. John F. Lines Beatles. I think I am. I think I, uh, well, yeah, we I, clearly follow I, you. We wouldn't let yeah, that go yeah. by without. You, you we'll be sure, sure to promote me. that. I don't think you do, actually. <laughs> we do. We absolutely do. <laughs> you brought this up earlier. You sure? I'm going to throw you, follow you. But I'm going to really throw you a like as soon as we hang up. I'm about to throw you a like. So. I want more than a like. I mean, <laughs> but. Okay. Um, yeah, anyway, but yeah, I think it's John F. Lyons Beatles, but you can find me anyway. It's, yeah. it's Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram, Instagram interviews. The other two is uh, material that either is in the book or material that uh, I couldn't fit in the book because I did so much research and I couldn't put it all in there. Thank you very much. That's uh, John Lyons and his yeah. new book, Join Fear, The Beatles in Chicago and the 1960s. Uh, John, thank you so much for all your time this evening. We really appreciate it. Thank you, oh, Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Again, I would say... I'm chuffed to be on your show. Yes. We were chuffed we to have chuffed. you, my friend, and let's do it again sometime. Mm-hmm.